Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. And Barnes high. It's a Welcome back to the Just Baseball Show. It is Wednesday, February 22nd, and we continue our top 10s. But now we're taking a slight detour. Instead of individual players, we're judging double play combinations. We got Aram, and we have the writer of this article. These are his rankings, so don't get mad at Aram and I specifically. But at the same time, we do back these rankings, and you can find them on JustBaseball.com, the top five double play combinations. We're going to go through honorable mentions. We're going to debate. It's going to be a fun show. Ryan, you are the host well, you also are the managing editor of JustBaseball.com, but you are the host of the new podcast on the Just, Just Baseball Network, and that is Who's Better Baseball. I was just on a debate with you, NL West versus NL East. I love the show. It's a debate show. We love to debate, so we decided to bring that on here. How are you doing, my friend? Doing good, doing good. I think uh, Peter told me he waxed me in that conversation. You guys can oh, go back absolutely. and watch it. I don't know about that. You know, I think that you're just a little bit more aggressive, but I'm more level headed. You know, people can go back and look at it. You know, I think, uh, you know, Peter's always going to think he wins any debate, but I know I, I think it was, it was a good conversation. We'll find out by the end of the year who actually won it when uh, the NL East wins more games than the West. It, it all comes down to arms Mar- Marlins. Can they win 75 games? That, that was the big thing. That's not a hill you want to die on, brother. <laughs> <laughs> you won that on last year, too. Before we get into the rankings, I have to ask you guys, because Jack and I were arguing yesterday on the show about in and out about the best burgers that you can find. Now, I'm slightly biased. Of course, I'm from California, grew up on in and out, but I've lived in New York. I've been to the middle of the country. I haven't really enjoyed a lot of the burgers down south, but I feel like I have a decent understanding of burgers in America. And he ranked. Listen to this. He ranked Culver's number one. Now, I've never had Culver's. That's a guy that's been living in Indiana. I'll tell you that right now. I mean, what a loser Jack is, right, Arm? Okay. I think In-N-Out is is more of like a regional passion thing, kind of like for me being from South Florida or Florida in general, like people are with Publix, right, think, as a Florida guy. Like it's at the end of the day, it's a grocery store. Um, and I do think that it's nuts. I don't even know what Culver's is. There's no way it's a better burger than In-N-Out. There's no way. There's just no way. So that's Ryan just Jack Arm, trying to be different. That's, that's what just, I'm saying. Yeah, it's no, him I'm, trying to be artsy and just straight up wrong. <laughs> I mean, probably. You know what? I think one of his worst takes that's ever been spoken into a mic. So before we get into our top five, I need to hear your top burger chain. Ryan, we'll start with you. Then Arm. Then we'll finally get to the baseball part of the just baseball show. 
That's tough, man. It's tough. You know, as someone who worked at McDonald's for a long time, I just try to stay away from all fast food burgers. I like to get a burger from a restaurant, but I will say uh, I did go to school in Pensacola for a little bit. Uh, Whataburger was pretty fire out there. So Whataburger, underrated, underrated. I'm fine with that being your favorite. I'd say it's wrong, but I'm fine with it. I can understand it. It's it's sort of like when we talk about these double play combinations, finishing third, fourth, Seeger versus Correa. I've only had I, it in and out that. once, man. I've had it once and I was like seven. So I That's can't fine. say in and out when I haven't really had it. You know, you're uncultured. It's okay. At least you admit it. Aram, yeah. is, is BurgerFi like a national chain? Is that considered a, a big enough chain? Never even heard of that. It's down okay. here. Yeah. Is that only Florida? That's your uh, number I, one over five guys over. I would say five guys. I got five guys. I'm a big fan. The, the fries. I'm going to bake the fries into it. Five guys is probably my answer. I, I like the peanut oil situation. Yeah. I like the bacon. I'm going to go five guys with my answer. But if you're, right. if you're in Florida, try try burger fi. It's pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Two answers that I'm not upset about Culver's. I was extremely <laughs> what upset. Was Culver's? And it almost, it almost ruined the top 10 short step episode for me. Thankfully, surprise me. yeah. Thankfully we got to talk about infields, which we will do in this episode and let's finally get into it. So Ryan again, wrote the, top five double play combinations on just baseball.com. You can find that article, Ryan. These are your rankings arm. And I, I looked through the list. I agree on most of it. Some we're going to debate a little bit, but it's pretty straightforward. How did you rank these guys? For me, uh, you know, it's, oh, for things, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, originally I think we were discussing top 10, top five. What do we do? Ultimately, I went with the top five because I felt like the back half of that list, it was more based on one player, right? There was, you know, you go to the Braves, like Ozzy Albies is established. Is Vaughn Grisham going to be that guy? He might be, but when we're ranking at the beginning of the season, I don't know if we put it there. You know, Bo Bichette is awesome. Santiago Espinal with Merrifield, who's the second baseman, and how do we kind of rank them? So that was why I went with the top five. Uh, it was interesting trying to look at really – I think when we get into the nitty gritty of the list, the top three was pretty clear to me. And then the four five and the honorable mentions, I almost would not be mad if anyone wants to have an argument with any of that kind of group of five, because I feel like there's the honorable mentions was more based on maybe not being as established as the two that I put behind our, our top three that we'll get into here. But ultimately, I mean, there's some really good double play combinations in baseball. I think one of the things that I found most interesting about this list is not a lot of double play combinations have been together for a while. Yeah. And, and we'll kind of go through it, but like most of them, it's they've been formed over the last one to two years. And, and the number one team, shockingly, has been uh, the longest formed double play combination, and it's only three years running. And how do you balance offense and defense? Uh, because looking through, it seems like some you just believe in the bat a little bit more. Some you rely on their defensive acumen. Like how did is it 50 50? How do you rate defense and offense for a double play combination? I think, you know, you, you want to make sure that there's at least one plus defender between the two. Um, but it, it was really just. Uh, you know, we could kind of go, you know, you know, each team by team and you'll kind of see where my head was at. But uh, a lot of it just came down to, you know, what they just did. Um, and and I, I leaned a little bit more towards this past season than projecting out, because I think if we project out, there's a couple double play combinations that I look at and I say the, the potential is there for them to be maybe the best in baseball over some of the ones that are ranked ahead. I went a little bit more towards who just did it this season for particularly the top two that are ranked here. Aram, without giving it away, 
Is there anything when you look at the list, anything egregious? I don't want you to say <laughs> it right now, but is there anything that jumps out at you where you can't wait to debate that? Or do you think it's a pretty fine list with some holes that we want to uncover? Uh, honestly, I don't know if I if I would really disagree with with any any of it. Um, the the interesting part that I wanted to build off of Fink's point was that the honorable mentions could each be like number three at some point if they have years that that we think that they can have right like and and just to to highlight one of them, uh, Wander Franco and Brandon Lau. Could you like those guys if they play to their potential next year? That's arguably like that could arguably be the number number two. Uh, and it wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility if they both had their hundredth percentile outcome, that it's the best middle infield duo on baseball somehow. It'd be really hard to do. But like just the fact that like there's a even a one percent chance of that is a testament to just how talented even some of these middle infield duos are that are not in the top five. I think where you could get a little bit nitpicky. The one area, Peter, I would say is five versus the honorable mentions. And that's where it becomes a challenge of like, how much do you weight the superstar and then the other guy versus like really solid player, really solid player or superstar and like emerging player? Um, it's a tough balance. Um, so that's going to be fun to kind of break down. And Ryan, get, getting straight into the first honorable mention, like Ara mentioned, Brandon Lau and Wander Franco. Talent-wise, they're top five, but availability yeah. is important. Brandon Lau's been banged up. Juan Franco has played 153 games in his career over two seasons. I feel, and maybe I'm wrong, tell me if I'm wrong now, if they play 130 games each, this is a top five double play combination. It's just about doing that, correct? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of times with, with these top tens, I like to put this type of a group or that type of a player in an honorable mention. Cause it's almost like you're, you're, you're kind of taking a pass on ranking them. Like if we put Wander Franco as an honorable mention in our top 10 shortstop, he did crack the list to me. It wasn't uh, about, you know, not acknowledging him as a top 10 shortstop. It's he didn't play all of last season. We know that once it's more just, Hey, we're mentioning the fact that this guy has this question, but we know that if he's healthy, you know, that's where he's going to be on the list. So yeah, you know, Wander and Lau, like that could be the best double play combination in baseball as Aram said, but they're coming off a year where they were both injured and Lau wasn't that good when he was on the field. We saw what Lau did in 2020 and 2021, where he might be, you know, the, the best power hitting second baseman in all of baseball. And we know Wander is supposed to be this stud that could be the best shortstop in baseball. I think both of them were in like the eight to 10 range of our top tens on second base and shortstop. So I, I think that it was fair to mention them, but I didn't believe that I could put them above the five teams that we ended up going with. And here was, I guess, my first issue, because I believe this should be a top five um, double play combination, and that's Nico Horner and Dansby Swanson. Just straight defense alone, I think they're number two to, you know, the Mets, which we will talk about in this top five. 
but even offensively, like Nico Horner is a really good bat. We've talked to pitchers on this podcast who said Nico Horner is one of the toughest ABs that they've had. Kind of a name that we were surprised about. And when we spoke to Justin Steele, who was on his team, he called him the most underrated player in all of Major League Baseball. And that's not even mentioning the guy coming off a six and a half war season. Aram, before we go to Ryan to get his kind of opinion on this, because of course it's his list, I want to go to you. Would this, should this have cracked your top five, or do you agree with Ryan where they're probably on the outside looking in? This is the one spot where it's tough um, yeah. because it's kind of that exact question that I posed, right? I, I know Dansby had like a, a, a all like a superstar ish season in, in the department of F war, but I mean, I don't think anyone's looking at Dansby Swanson as a superstar, and that's not a slight. He's a really good player. Nico Horner, really good player. Those are two really good players. You get to number five, you have a superstar and an emerging young player. That's where it's it's a really tough juggle. On one side, and this kind of goes into like one of your first questions to, to Ryan, Peter, which was how do you weight this? Because Swanson and Horner could both be 100 WRC plus guys next year. And I think they'd combine for like seven or eight war, right? So maybe more, maybe more. So that gives them such a high floor. And then I think Horner's bat's going to keep getting better. I don't know how Swanson's going to hit. I won't pretend to have an idea there because he is kind of really tough to, to fully project offensively and, and has improved in some areas, regressed in some. It's, it's weird. I think that if you believe in, to spoil it, if you believe in Bryson Stott, then you can really make that case. And I, I wonder if that's why Fink has the Phillies duo ahead to spoil number five. Like is, is it the belief in, in Bryson Stott or is it maybe that you don't know how Swanson's going to bounce back um, or not bounce back, but I mean, build off of what was a career year. Yeah. I think for me, that was the biggest thing. It was trying to, to look at our honorable mentions and then weighing the fact that Trey Turner is the second best shortstop of baseball. Like to me, it was, Trey Turner is that good. He is the best player of the bunch. And as much as Swanson had an unbelievable season, it's wondering, is he going to do it again? Whereas Trey Turner, I know he's going to do it. And the more I looked at Stott, if we throw out the first two months of his season where he was trying to get his feet wet, he wasn't that much different than Nico Horner. His WRC plus was 102 compared to 106 for Horner. The defense, he was playing shortstop, not second. Now, granted, so was Horner, and he was better at shortstop. But I don't know if the gap between Horner and Stott is that great, where I feel like the gap between Trey Turner and Swanson is bigger. So that's that's why I went that way. Actually, that's a really good argument. The way you put it that way, I can I can totally see that, because it's like if you were to rank these guys, you're Trey Turner, then a big gap, then Dansby Horner Stott or Dansby Stott Horner. Like it's it's not that far off, but the gap for Turner puts them at number five. And before we really truly dive into number five, Correa and Polanco, again, another one where I'm like, yeah, they could probably be top five. Like, this is why this list is so fascinating to me because there's so many good arguments here because Carlos Correa is a top five shortstop. You could put him at five, you could put him at two. And I don't think RM, you or any of us would be upset with that ranking. So, 
But and then you have Jorge Polanco, who you'll find on our utility rankings. We didn't rank him within the top uh, 10 second baseman because play some shortstop, play some DH has played other positions before. So we thought a good spot for him would be the utility rankings. It might be wrong. He might just play a full-time second baseman and we apologize for that. That's where we put him initially. So that's where we're going to rank him. If you're upset, I don't know what to tell you. What's interesting to know, the one thing I want to add on that is the twins were oscillating between having Correa or not, you know, were they going to bring him in, which that would make Polanco either play short or not. And then depending on what happens with Rice Lewis, he could play second, he could play short. I don't think he's going to play center. Uh, Now Correa is in the fold. I am interested to see how they how they handle Polanco there. So we uh, we definitely should have probably mentioned him in one way or another. I think he got a little bit lost in the shuffle there, but I think you know it makes more sense for us to rank him as a utility guy, and I think that's what what we're gonna do. If he ends up playing all of his games at second base, uh, you know, sorry about that, but he was a weird one to to try to like land in a spot, especially with you know how interesting the Twins infield situation is. But that leads us into the final honorable mention, which it was another tough one because I think you could make the case, as you said, Correa's elite, um, Polanco. Similar to Lau, really good 2021, a little bit, a little bit of a step back last year, a little banged up. More of this, just a step back. I almost don't yeah. know what's worse. Is it is it better to be unavailable or available and take a step back? Like, I, I don't know. So how did you consider that thing? It, honestly, the, the twins, just to be completely brutally honest, have like fallen off my radar for a lot of it. When we made our top tens. <laughs> Carlos Correa was supposed to be a third baseman for the Mets. When we were having our big zoom discussing, we're like, all right, he's either the fourth best shortstop or the fifth best. I mean, we didn't know where to put them. And I feel like because of that, the twins have kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit. Ultimately, I still don't believe they're a top five double play combination because again, it gets back to how much I value Trey Turner compared to everybody else. Like as great as Correa is Trey Turner. I feel great knowing that he's going to play 150 games for the Phillies this year. I don't know how many games Correa is going to play. Not to say that it's because of the ankle, but you know, throughout his career, we just don't entirely know there. And we think it's Planco playing second, but it could be Nick Gordon. It could be a lot of guys. They have a ton of infielders. It could be Royce Lewis. So it's also that where we don't really know exactly what the double play combination is going to be in Minnesota. And Polanco, sorry, real quick, Polanco played 104 games last year and and had a 1.8 F war, right? Like this guy's not a great defender at second base. They stretch him at shortstop. He's definitely not a great defender there. And with with Arias out, that could be a guy that ends up DHing a little bit more than I think we we thought, especially with Lewis eventually returning. So, um, yeah, I think when you bake in defense too, none of these guys on this list are bad at defense. Most of them are good and a lot of them are great. I think if you go through all of the defenders here, if I'm not mistaken, I would probably say Polanco's the worst defender of all these middle infielders. Would that be fair, Peter? Yeah. I'm going through it. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, Bichette, I think, but no, yeah, maybe yeah, he was, he's well, a shortstop. Well, and Bichette, the Blue Jays they combination isn't too. on this list. Yeah, yeah. He, he, and, he was a mention in the introduction, not even an honorable mention. So, yeah. <laughs> and we'll get to the, uh, you know, the Padres double play combination, but I guess you can make the argument for Bogarts at short, but I still but think Blanco year. is the right answer of worst defender on this list. Yeah. And he had that down year defensively when his calling card is power and he had 16 home runs. It's not like he had four. 
but it's not like he had 30 like he can. Yeah. So it's a balance. And that's why I do appreciate number five getting now into the list, Trey Turner and Bryson Stott, because you're right over the over Bryson Stott's full season last year, 83 WRC plus through 127 games. But he really, really, really struggled in those first two months. And if we're talking about a balance of upside and floor, we know what we're going to get from Trey Turner. We're going to get the second best shortstop in Major League Baseball. We're going to get one of the best overall players in Major League Baseball. And then if Bryson Stoughton is above average second baseman, there's almost no debate that this can't be a top five. But it's just what are we going to get from Bryson Stoughton? switching over to a new position it should help him because now he has more of a home he knows his role there with the Phillies I think Arm especially has been a Bryson Stott guy I'm curious Arm before Fink kind of gets into the overarching idea of having them at five I just want to hear your I guess projection of Bryson Stott in 2023 yeah you know I thought what, what what I saw in the second half was exactly what I what I thought we could see, which was uh, you mentioned the floor, you know, in the balance of floor and a little bit of upside is like when I was pitching you guys on the just baseball show ahead of the season on Bryson Stott after watching him in the fall league and watching him, you know, through the minor leagues, I was like, look, this guy's nothing's going to jump off the page, but he's pretty good at everything. We saw down the stretch above average or at least average power. We saw an average or above average approach. We saw above average speed. We just saw a guy that's just 50 grades across the board or a little bit better. And that's really darn good. And, I, you know, you can't account for the learning curve for players. It's going to be different for everybody. What I can tell you is almost all of them do have learning curves unless you're a freak like Julio Rodriguez or Michael Harris or the very short list of players that instantly, you know, settle in. But you look at the WRC plus from first half to second half. Again, that second half was exactly the Bryson Stott that I saw in the minor leagues. 58 WRC plus in the first half. He effectively doubled it in the second half to one one Oh six, basically. So it's insane to nearly double your WRC plus in the second half, and then had some success in the postseason. This guy's just a really well-rounded player. And I think at second base, we're going to see the defense tick up. And I guess if you had to, if I gave you a WRC plus of a hundred and I had to, uh, you had to bet over under you going over, I'm going over. Okay, then they they probably deserve to be top five, right, Ryan? Because I think you're in the same boat. And then, of course, we're all in the same agreement about Trey Turner. Yeah, I mean, he was a two F four player after he hit his first home run at the end of May. And so I think about him at second base and, you know, can he be worth three and a half wins this year? I think that that's a realistic outcome for him. And if Trey Turner is six and a half wins, I mean, that's going to be one of the best double play combinations in baseball. So number four is fascinating because when I saw number four, that was my big issue with the list. I almost coined the term egregious, but then I really thought about it and you have Xander Bogarts, who is one of the best shortstops in major league baseball, even if he's a freaking scarecrow at shortstop, not being able to move, he's going to hit and he's going to hit everywhere. He's going to hit 300. He's going to plenty of doubles. And even if the power is a little bit down, I just think this is a this is one of the best bats kind of of our era, um, kind of one of the more all around bats. Like you look at run value, each pitch, he hits every single pitch. It doesn't matter if it's off speed. It doesn't matter if it's high velo, fastballs, cutters, splitter. doesn't matter. He hits it. 
But then you have Ha Seong Kim, who was really, really solid last year. He's not a guy, again, who's super flashy. You know, he's not Fernando Tatis Jr. with the tools. But the man at shortstop can pick it with anybody. And he was a slightly above average hitter. And now moving over to second base, kind of similar to Nico Horner, he could win the gold glove while being an above average hitter. So I went from egregious to... No, this is actually probably pretty spot on, right? Right or right arm, dude. I I I'm a Ha Sun Kim believer. Um, we used to talk about it, you know, in the group chat in the off season. I was like, man, I wouldn't mind the Marlins going and getting him. And I may, may mention the, the best podcast. player. He's a good player. Um, <laughs> and you know, I think he could be a guy that continues to get better. I think what people forget is, you know, he debuted in 2021, coming over from the KBO. Uh, had an obviously bad offensive season. And then this was his second year, like getting acclimated. He didn't have a double A or triple A experience. Like that kind of was his double A, triple A experience. And he got another guy, great second half. Horner is, you know, I think a, a higher floor bat in terms of just the way he puts bats to ball. He's a little bit better athlete, but I think Kim can run into some baseballs, man. I think he's got a little bit more power. Uh, and, and I think the glove is right there. You, you mentioned what he did is short. He was five defensive runs saved at second base in what was, I believe, 24 games there. Like this guy barely played there and and was five DRS. He was 10 DRS at shortstop. I think he could be one of like it could be between him and Horner for a gold glove at second base this year, um, which alone, you know, complimenting a superstar like you mentioned with Xander is great. And then I think Xander's improvement defensively. We'll see if it holds up again this year. But Xander having a career year defensively has to really help, Um, you know, and I think. This is going to be a sneaky, decent defensive middle infield duo. Obviously, Xander is one of the weaker defenders of this group, but it helps when you have one of the best defensive second basemen. And Xander improved there. And then I think you see Hassan Kim improving offensively and Xander already being one of the best bats of this whole group here. So I think there's that high floor of an establishedness like that we have with still a little bit more of like they can do some more. Hassan Kim almost had a four F war last season. Like it's not bad at all. It's not bad at all, too. And I was just, you know, reading the list, too. And it's weird not seeing Fernando Tatis Jr. there because he's most likely going to be playing in the outfield. And I was also watching MLB Network and people are really excited about Tatis. You know, he he talked about, you know, I think he had shoulder surgery in the offseason. He had wrist surgery as well. And the soldier, the shoulder is doing really well. The wrist is a little bit behind, but the shoulder looks great. He looks ready to go. He looks ready to prove people wrong. And when you already have the talent of Fernando Tatis Jr. And then you add a little bit of motivation, he could have an incredible year, but he's not even here. But the great thing about the Padres, Ryan, is they have Bogarts and Haseon Kim too. I mean, this is a really good team. Yeah, I mean, on my list, I said if it was Tatis at short and Bogarts at second, I'd be like, ha, do we just put them one? Because <laughs> like the, the talent alone, you'd be thinking about it. But the reason why Tatis is in the outfield is because Kim is that good of an infielder. And, you know, I, I wrote in the article, like if he's 15 home runs, 15 stolen bases and a gold glove second baseman, and that's your Robin to Bogarts Batman. Yep. I, I think he had they had to be, you know, fourth on this list. And I think that's what we see with a lot of these double play combinations and why the top three stand out. It's because the second basemen are that good in our top three. Yeah. So maybe it's my Corey Seager belief boiling over, but I would have the Rangers double play combination at two instead of three. But 
at the same time we're splitting hairs because the next three are all incredible they're all the best in baseball you put each name into a hat and you draft it any way you want whatever order i'm probably going to agree with you but for the sake of this episode i disagree with you so you have Corey seager and you have marcus semian and semian we ranked really high on our top 10 second baseman and Corey seager of course was top five as well pena was an honorable mention while tuve not to spoil it number two is one versus honorable mention both top five what was the deciding point to kind of have a debate between these two Seeger and Semyon versus Altuve and Jeremy Pena at two and three? It's tough because I think that by season's end, if Seeger stays healthy, this is probably going to be the best double play combination in baseball. Like it's the only double play combination where I could say they might hit 80 home runs this year. And that's not a laughable statement, which is insane. Uh, but we have to look at what they just did. And it's hard for me to look at Altuve and Pena where Altuve was a six and a half F four guy and Pena was, you know, know, not a rookie of the year, but he had a rookie of the year type season. He was above average offensively. He won a gold glove and then he won the NLCS MVP and the world series MVP. Like I look at it all together and I think, I mean, that is the double play combination that's coming off the best season other than our number one, maybe. But again, when you combine the postseason, the regular season, I just felt like it was more acknowledging what they just did, knowing that if Seager and Simeon play up to their potential this year and they don't both get off to a little bit of a slow start as they did, they're going to be the best one. And you look and Simeon didn't hit a home run until I think May 28th. Yeah. From that point on, that duo hit 51 home runs from basically June on. So that shows you what they can be, but they weren't that last year. So that's why they're three. Arm, where do you sit on this? Yeah. You know, Jeremy Pena is a really interesting case. And um, it was a big topic on our top shortstop list, right? Of like, how do you, it's such a talented position. This guy won a gold glove and hit 22 home runs, but he also got on base at a 289 clip and and doesn't walk and, and chases a lot. And it's a risky offensive profile. And he had that rough second half, right? Um, and, and again, we're, we're splitting hairs and a half here, but even though it was a 13 game sample size, what Jeremy Pena did in the postseason and on the biggest stage really like kind of gave me a little bit of, of pause and, and calm of, of what he's going to be able to do. I think going into to next year, I think, you know, I don't know if we're going to see a sophomore slump, even with the approach inefficiencies, like those things would have got exposed on the biggest stage in the world series or, you know, in, in the ALCS. And instead he hit 345 and slugged 638 during that postseason run hit four home runs. Uh, so, you know, I, I think Pena is going to build off of that year. I don't know if he's going to have like the, a superstar season, but 3.4 F4 last year, why can't he get on base at a slightly higher clip, hit 20 plus home runs again and play the great defense again and be a four, four and a half F4 guy. If he does that with what Jose Altuve is doing, we just talked about the top second baseman in baseball and Altuve is a guy that, you know, has had career career year. Like that's a really tough one to beat on the flip side though. Is there a better second baseman on this list no. than Marcus Semien other than, than Jose oh. Altuve, right? Like other than Altuve, is there a better Second baseman than Marcus Semyon. I guess it would be Jeff. Of course Jeff there is. Hey, don't don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. <laughs> I, I think I, I, people people probably inferred by now. But I guess what, what's interesting is it's like we're talking about the balance of like superstar and then guy down here. The Rangers are like this weird in between of like two almost 
superstar kind of guys. Like I, I know Seeker's been a superstar, but in terms of what the level they played last year was kind of like almost superstar. Um, it's Star. a really interesting balance. So I lean with the way that it's ranked, but that's one that like the, the nuclear ability that the Rangers middle infield has that it, it could be number one. Ryan, be honest with me. Were you coerced by uh, Jeremy Pena's tricep picture? Were you? Were I you? was not. I was not. But uh, honestly, I don't believe you. I, I, I no. I was. I, I'm like. I'm like the old man that's just like rings and and what did you do for me in the playoffs and that type of thing. Where you know, I, I was more swayed by what he did in October than anything else. Where it's just it's hard for me not to believe in a guy when he rises to the occasion. You know, and I, I honestly think that I almost feel like he had his sophomore slump. During the season, I feel like the first half, everyone was kind of discovering who Jeremy Pena was, and then he had to go through it. And then when you're facing the best possible pitching in the playoffs, he made his adjustments and he delivered in the biggest way. How many times have we ever seen a guy go from NLCS MVP to World Series MVP? Like, I don't even remember seeing that. So to me, that was ultimately why I'm a little bit higher on Pena. I think I, I definitely had him in the top 10 when I originally ranked our shortstops. So I, I think I'm higher on him than than a lot of us are just baseball. But I, I just think that the defense gives him such a high floor that if he's hitting me 25 home runs, I feel like he's going to be one of the most consistent starting shortstops in the game. I guess that's fine. But when Seager and Semien combine for 12 war, you guys oh, will yeah. be eating your words. Yeah. Um, but I'm okay with it. And but if you Seager know, plays 65 games this year. Or if he gets on base at a 308 <laughs> clip. <laughs> all right. All right. Fine. There's positives and negatives to everyone. Let's move on. Uh, this is about to be an echo chamber. And the reason I say it's about to be an echo chamber is because we all agree with number one. And we're just going to shower the praise of our number one double play combination. And it's not just because Fink has a Mets flag behind him. This is the best double play combination because we have the number one shortstop in baseball, according to all of us. And we have the number two second baseman and Jeff McNeil, which why I love him so much is because, yes, he's one of the best second basemen in baseball, but he could be one of the better third basemen in baseball. He could be one of the better corner outfielders in baseball. Like he's been a utility guy kind of his whole career, really found a home at second base. He's found a little bit of power, but the contact is always going to be there. Find a guy who has a better zone contact than Jeff McNeil. Find a guy who had a better batting average last year. You can't because he hit 326. And then you have the best shortstop in baseball in Francisco Lindor. So not only does this duo probably end up being the best defensive duo in Major League Baseball, they might be top three offensive also. And Fink, we're going to go through our... um you know, MVP picks, award picks, and I don't want to give it all away. And I don't even want to really talk about this because we have so many other episodes to do. But I am looking at Francisco Lindor as my MVP pick next Woo! year. I really am. Yeah. I think the value is there. I'm looking at these guys like I think he could put together a career year, settled in third season in New York, best defense in baseball at the position, drive in 110, hit 280, hit 30 bombs, be that guy for the New York Mets. And that's not even mentioning Jeff McNeil could at three thirty. Shower the praise, my friend. This is this is your time to shine. Thank you have you. the flag I, behind you. You better I, deliver. I I'll just sit back. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I will say, just building off that, I, I had a whole show about Lindor's MVP case on Locked On Mets on Monday, and the odds for Lindor right now plus twenty five hundred. For Trey Turner, it's like plus fourteen hundred. To me, I'm like, if I'm betting, you know, on, on those two guys based on you know who they are as players. 
give me the odds on Lindor if they're that long. But look, I think when you look at this Mets team, they're built to win a ton of games. And these guys are maybe the biggest reason because of it. The fact that the Mets are so strong up the middle is why they won 101 last year. And it was those guys. It was McNeil. It was Lindor. It was Alonzo and really Nimmo last year that drove that team. And with Lindor, you know, you look at his first season with the Mets. He was dreadful to start, but from June on, he was really good. He got hurt, so that kind of messed up his numbers a little bit too, where there was some time where he was struggling off the injury. This guy is so consistent. He's going to go out. He's going to hit at least 25 home runs. He'll swipe over 15 bags. And I think the elimination of the shift this year is going to make that defense stand out even more. And Jeff McNeil, if you're not watching Mets baseball, I, I there's few guys that are more exciting to watch than Jeff McNeil. The, the jersey's always dirty. He's always, you know, two hits a game. Uh, so, yeah, of course, I love my Mets middle infield. But when we were going through this list, when I was doing all the research on it, the second best combined F4 of any double play combination that's formed was actually Swanson and Horner last year at 10.4. Lindor McNeil was over 12. It was 12.7. So Gee. that that's why, you know, F4 alone, it was kind of a, a clear-cut answer on who the best double play combination was. Aram, do you totally agree or do you definitely agree? I mean, I think there's a slight snub of of Joey Wendell and Luis Arias up yeah. in the middle. Um, yeah, I, I think you got to look out for that duo. Yeah. They might combine for eight. And IKF and uh, Glaber. Yeah, I think I think Arias and Wendell might combine for eight home runs this year. So <laughs> he'll look out for them. But no, I I mean everything that he said, you know, that Fink just said is is true. And, and we talked about it just on the on the second baseman episode. Like the way that McNeil has you know, took that that down year that was kind of a, a plague that was spread across the whole Mets team and hitting philosophy and analysis paralysis and they kind of scrapped a lot of the the people that were perpetuating some of that. Um, I mean, he just went back to the basics, man. This guy, like you mentioned, Peter, you're you're going to be hard pressed to find a more pure hitter in baseball. It's just he makes hitting a baseball like he hurts our case. When we tell people, hey, hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in sports. If they just look at Jeff McNeil, they'll be like, what, what do you mean? It doesn't look that bad. Like, it looks pretty easy. Um, and then Lindor, I, his floor is so high because he's going to always be one of the best defenders. And he's always going to run into 20-plus home runs. Like, maybe he's not putting up 33, 35 like he did in, in, in Cleveland. But he's 20-plus every year for the, what, the last five full seasons? Um, he's going to steal bags. He's going to have pitch calm in his ear and be annoying about just knowing where to be at all times. I don't even know if you can put that in numbers. Like he is just that kind of player. Um, I, I like, I think I would pretty much, if there's a gun to my head, I think I brought this up with, with Jack. I, I would pick this middle infield duo to pace the league in NF four. And I think I'd sleep pretty well for all 162. cross that bridge when we get there. But I, I don't think I'd, I'd be losing sleep at night and wondering if if that, that trigger is going to be pulled uh, come October 3rd or whatever. No, and it's funny. The, the Mets double play combination is so good that it automatically puts them in the best infields in baseball, even though Eduardo Escobar plays third. I mean, yes. of course, you have Pete Alonso to help. But because it's so good and because Pete Alonso is so good, they could have Aram at third, who is well, a poor man's Josh Rojas, which is a perfect kind of comfort. Hey, I can right? pick it. That's all they need me to do. That's all they need him to do. And that's all they're going to ask for. But Wardo Escobar too. So that's the top five. Great list. The more I think about it, I think you got it pretty spot on. I would argue for Dansby and Horner, but we're splitting hairs. Who were the double play combinations 
when writing, because I know you said at the beginning, it was a top 10, but the back half is kind of challenging. You held it to three honorable mentions who might be nine and 10. Like who was the one you left off where you thought to yourself, eh, I could easily make an argument for them in my honorable mentions. Uh, I think the Blue Jays and the Guardians were, were, were maybe like nine, ten. Um, you know, with with Jimenez and Rosario, with Bichette and Espinal, um, and then I, the Braves were the other one. So I mean, you know, if we made a top ten, there would have been maybe one honorable mention. I had to try to figure that out, but um, you know, it's it, it was tough. Again, it, it ultimately came down to the top three was pretty clear to me. I had some pr- some trouble like Rangers, Astros. That was one of the things. And then, you know, rounding out the top five was was tough. But ultimately, I felt like these were the five best double play combinations. And uh, when you add in the honorable mentions, I think from that collection of eight teams, that will be the the top five at some point, you know, at the end of the season. I think any of those honorable mentions could easily crack this list by by year's end. Yeah, I would say the Guardians. That's the one that I think could could have easily been an honorable mention. It's kind of weird when there's a, a big difference. Like you look at the the Astros. Yes, there's a decent gap between Altuve and Pena, but Pena a lot better than than Rosario. Um, yeah, when there's a gap, when you're better, when the better middle infielder is the second baseman by a decent margin, it's, I feel like it's kind of harder to push that that team across. And Rosario is a good player, but you know not the caliber player of Pena. And I think Jimenez is is closer to Altuve in terms of value from this past season, as a lot of people think, but just below that. So obviously, it's it's just outside there, but. I would say that's a really underrated middle infield duo that is going to probably only get better, right? I mean, it was a six-war player from Menez last year. Rosario seemed to have a lot of things click for him. Um, that's a really fun middle infield duo. That's one that I would not be surprised to enter the top five, you know, for maybe next season or at some point midseason if, if both of them perform the way we think they can. So Arm is churning out uh, top 10 prospects by system, and he's doing a really great job. I've been on his ass about the Yankees because all I want to do is talk about Will Warren and um, Jason Dominguez and Volpe and all these different guys. I'm curious, Arm, because in the minor leagues from listening to the call up, it seems that the shortstop position in particular, of course, and it normally is, but it seems like this shortstop crop in the minor leagues right now is about as rich as it's been in a very long time. But with that said, there's a lot of shortstops coming up for teams who already have shortstops who might move over to second base for the teams that weren't mentioned here for the, for the fans of teams who are looking towards a great middle infield duo in a couple of years, who are some teams with great prospects coming up that you feel have a, you know, a path, right? A path to play second, a path to play shortstop who could form a duo. Like I think to myself, O'Neill Cruz and Nick Gonzalez or O'Neill Cruz and G1 Bay for the pirates. The reds have so many good shortstops. Someone's going to move over to second, you know, Bobby Wood jr. Who's going to be the second baseman for the Royals. Like all of these teams who aren't mentioned yet, but will be in a couple of years. That's a great question. Do not sleep on this brewers duo of now the established and top 10 shortstop in our game in Adamas. And then Bryce Turang, man, I think he's cut from the same cloth as Nico Horner. I think he's going to be a high F war guy off of the defense and speed and run into 10, 15 home runs. And you're like, whoa, that guy had a four F war last year. Um, That's a middle infield duo that I think could be really, really good. And then, Peter, you're Yankees, man. Like 
the combination of Volpe and Peraza, if both of these guys hit their ceilings or even close to it, <laughs> like that's a really nasty defensive and offensive middle infield as Peter, for those listening, puts on his, his pit vipers, which are nuts. Those are nuts. crazy. Those are crazy. Um, yeah, that is that is a middle infield duo that I think is nice. And I think Peraza is a pit viper guy, if I'm not mistaken. Couldn't agree with you more. Volpe, Peraza, Glaber. Never it's incredible what we got over here at uh, pitch a little bit of what we were talking about the Yankees. Just just humor me. Like just just humor about the Yankees farm system for a little bit. Just shower me and break. Hey, please. Look forward to the call up. We'll be breaking down what I think is is one of the better, I think still a top ten farm system in baseball. Um, the Yankees pitching philosophy continues to to just shock me. Um and with how they're able in a to good take way. a sixth round pick in a good way and just yes. develop that guy immediately. Um, I'm really excited to put this system out. I think it's going to be a really, really fun breakdown that should be out in the next. If you're listening to this, good chance it's either out by the end of day today or tomorrow. Check it out. It'll be live on justbaseball.com. The full episode will be available on the Call Up podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the Call Up podcast as well as the YouTube channel if you want to watch Arm's beautiful face talk about prospects. And, of course, Jack, too, and maybe I'll make an appearance with my Pit Vipers. Ryan is the host of Who's Better Baseball It's an awesome debate show. We need more of that here for baseball because it's fun to debate different areas in Major League Baseball. Ryan's doing that, bringing on riders. I've been on. Arm's going to be on. Jack's going to be on. The whole gang's going to be on. And, of course, one thing that I have to tell you guys because I'm very excited for it, make sure to download prize picks. It is in the episode description. Use code just baseball because we are about to unleash season long props and they will be only on prize picks because we get the best value there. And then you get a deposit match. If you use code just baseball up to $100, you deposit 50, you get 50, you deposit a hundred, you get a hundred. If you're not much of a gambler, but you think it might be fun to throw 10 bucks on a season long entry and sweat it out and have fun with us as we talk about it all year. You get ten free dollars anyway. Put that free ten bucks on, and let's just have a really good time. That link is in the episode description. Of course, not gambling advice. Can't wait for that to begin again. Daily MLB bets, college baseball bets, the whole nine yards, and of course, you can find all of this on justbaseball.com. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, we'd greatly appreciate a five star review. It's the best way to support this podcast. If you could leave a written review, it's even better. And of course, we have merch in the episode description if you want to support the podcast. And with that, thank you, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.